So I called the attending in the ICU and I said, I need you to come down and intubate this patient right now. And the attending said, but the resident... Hey there, I've got some exciting news to share and I can't wait to tell you about it. So if you're multitasking, come back to me because this is something you won't want to miss. You may already be familiar with my one hour rapid response and rescue course, a quick dive into approaching critical patients. I'm thrilled to receive such positive feedback from nurses who found it valuable, but I'm not stopping there. I've been hard at work developing a more comprehensive, in-depth course. However, the more I work on it, the more I realize that I want to offer more than just another course to purchase. Reflecting on my years as an educator, what I truly cherish is the opportunity to interact with nurses in real time, breaking down complex concepts, mentoring, inspiring, coaching, and supporting nurses as they navigate the challenges of our profession. Teaching and empowering nurses is close to my heart. Over my 20 years in the field, I've amassed a wealth of clinical knowledge that I'm committed to sharing with nurses. But there's more to being a great nurse than just understanding pathophysiology. Through trial and error myself, I've gained other valuable skills related to leadership, advocacy, resilience, which I believe can be beneficial to all nurses. So here's the plan for 2024. I want to create a community of dedicated nurses who invest in themselves so that they can deliver exceptional patient care. This won't be just me recording myself for a podcast. I want to teach live, address your questions, and provide a platform for nurses to support one another. I'm calling it Rapid Response Academy, the heart and science of caring for the sick. Members will enjoy weekly live lessons, a community forum for questions, and personal interaction with me to better understand your needs and support you on your journey. This is uncharted territory, and I'm excited to explore it together. I'll be soft launching on December 1st to get to know the initial members. So those who sign up before December will receive a 25% discount and play a pivotal role in shaping the community from the ground up. The sign-up list opens on Friday, November 24th. If you're excited about more in-depth teaching, access to a supportive community of like-minded nurses, and the chance to be a part of our founding group, I'd love to have you on board. If you want to learn more about what I'm building, I put a link in the show notes for you. Now, let's get back to today's episode. And said, the hospitalist is, is managing it. I was like, I'm telling you from my nursing experience, I know sick when I see it. This patient needs an airway right now. Hey there, I'm your host, Sarah Lorenzini, a rapid response nurse and educator who loves telling stories to teach critical thinking. This podcast is for nurses who want the knowledge, skills, and confidence to respond to any emergency. With almost 20 years of experience in the ER and critical care nursing and a master's degree in nursing education, I have a lot of stories to share, and I love to nerd out and break down the pathophysiology, pharmacology, and nurses' role in emergencies. Stories bring learning to life. It is way easier to learn from and remember the stories that my colleagues and mentors have told me than anything I've read in a textbook. And that is why I made this podcast. Every episode is packed full of exactly what you need to know to handle whatever crisis that could arise on your shift. It's one thing to get the right answer on the test, but knowing how to detect when your patient is declining and what to do when your patient is crashing is what will make or break your day and might just save your patient's life. So I've gotten the same question 
three times in the last week or so, which tells me it's probably time to address it. So here's the question, all three versions. First, how do you know when it's time to intubate your patient? The other version was, when you say they weren't protecting their airway, what do you mean by that? Final version is, once the provider has decided to intubate, what are the nurse's responsibilities? Guys, all these are excellent questions. Let's dive in. So I have this great story that kind of exemplifies hopefully all three (laughs) um, that I want to share with you, and then I'll break down my thinking and why I approach it this way in this situation. I also want to say that this is a skill set that you would need potentially anywhere in the hospital. This is not just for the ICU nurses who care for intubated patients, but patients require intubation everywhere. Trust me, I intubate people in the behavioral health unit, on the labor and delivery floor, in the hallway, in the front circle by valet parking. Like people need intubation, not just in the ICU. So I think it's important that every nurse knows what signs and symptoms to look for that tell you it's time. So I get called to rapid response. And as I'm running towards the patient's room, I see the ICU residents are actually leaving the room, walking the opposite direction. I was like, oh, was it canceled? They're like, oh, the hospitalist is there. They said they can manage it. So I come in the room to find a patient that does not look good to me. So the call was for unresponsiveness for the bedside nurse. This patient is definitely unresponsive. And the hospitalist is like, yeah, the, the vital signs are fine. So I sent the residents away. I, I got this. And I was like, okay, so what's going on with the patient? They're kind of giving me the background, but honestly, all I'm seeing is this very unresponsive person. And I look at the vital signs machine. They had a new set of vital signs for me. So heart rate was like 120. Blood pressure was 90 or 50. Respiratory rate was normal, maybe 12 or 14. Oxygen saturation was 90%. And they were actively putting her on a non-rebreather mask because prior she had no issues with her respiratory system. So I'm like, okay, you know what's going on? What's the patient admitted for? Abdominal pain, okay. When was she responsive last? 30 minutes ago. I was like, well, this is very strange. And then here's what clued me in that we needed to get an airway emergently. The patient started vomiting. It looks like coffee ground emesis. What concerned me was she's not waking up at all with the vomiting. She's literally laying in the bed. I mean, kind of 30 degrees head of the bed. Like the vomit is like coming out of her mouth, but she's not working to get it out. She's not doing anything about the vomit. It's just kind of like bubbling out of her mouth. So we act as quick as we can to suction her out, to get her turned on her side. But she's not even responding to that. Like she doesn't care at all that there's a yank hour in the back of her throat. I mean, she's literally unresponsive, unaffected at all by this vomiting. To me, that tells me she cannot protect her airway right? She's vomiting, but she's not doing anything to keep herself from aspirating that. This woman needs to get an emergent airway. Additionally, I'm suspecting aspiration just happened, and I know those lungs are going to have a hard time with coffee ground emesis floating around the alveoli. Okay, so we need to get an airway on this patient. And the hospitalist says, well, her oxygen saturation is 91%. I said, I see that, but on a 100% non-rebreather, And I'm really concerned that she's not working hard at all to get this 91%. She's not breathing fast. She's not using accessory muscles. She's just laying there in the bed. This is not okay. So the hospitalist is so focused on seeing the coffee ground emesis, trying to order blood products in the computer. But I'm like, we will get to that. I know I'm going to need blood. But my first priority is A, which is airway. I'm sure you guys know the ABCs, right? 
airway is the priority. So I called the attending in the ICU. I need you to come down and intubate this patient right now. And the attending said, but the resident said the hospital is managing it. I was like, I'm telling you from my nursing experience, I know sick when I see it, this patient is an airway right now. She said, I'll be right there. She was there literally half a minute later. <laughs> and as soon as she saw the patient, she's like, oh yeah, we gotta get air with this patient. So then we proceeded to intubate the patient, take her to the ICU. She got very sick, very fast, requiring vasopressor support, high vent settings, et cetera. You know, all the worst case scenarios you don't wanna happen to your patient. So let's talk about how did I know that the patient needed intubation, even though the vital signs were, quote, stable. <laughs> so as far as how to know if your patient needs intubation, you know, there's the obvious ones, right? The patient is cyanotic, even after supplemental oxygen or all the interventions you can think of to increase oxygenation. Or the patient's in anaphylactic shock and their airway is actively closing. Please get a tube in before it closes all the way. Or the patient is post-cardiac arrest, and we just achieved return of spontaneous circulation, that patient's going to need airway afterwards. So those are obvious ones, right? But there's also those not so obvious ones. The patient's not blue. They didn't just code. They're not, you know, in anaphylactic shock, which is like, you know, you can see that's obvious. You can hear the strider, right? Sometimes it's not so obvious. So the first one I want to talk about is when patients are not protecting their airway. What does that even mean? That means that if something were to happen with their airway, say vomit, they can't protect it by coughing or gagging to prevent the thing, whatever the thing is, from getting in their lungs. And I saw that happen with this patient. I saw that she was vomiting and she was not working to keep the vomit out of her mouth, right? She wasn't sitting up and like pushing it forward or coughing. She just laying in the bed as the vomit's bubbling up out of her. That is a huge red flag that you need to act right away. Not only to, quote, protect the airway, but also because if they aspirate and it's about to get really bad, their lungs do not like having foreign substances in them. And typically the whole inflammatory cascade starts and it's really hard to exchange the gases when that's going on. All right. But what if the patient is actively vomiting? That was a pretty obvious one for me. I'm like, oh my gosh, they're vomiting and nothing. They're not doing anything about it. Sometimes you can assess if someone can protect their airway by assessing for a cough or a gag. The easiest way that I found to do this is to set up suction with the yank hour and just go ahead and put it in the back of the patient's throat and try to suction them out. People who have a well-functioning cough or gag, they will cough <coughs> when you start putting things in the back of the throat or gag <coughs> whenever you whenever you put the yank hour back there. If you're shoving that yank hour back and getting no response, that should be concerning to you that this patient cannot protect their airway. Another reason why I might want to move towards intubation is that the patient is either working too hard to compensate or not working enough. So either they are breathing so fast and they're using all their accessory muscles, you know, breast 30, 40 times a minute for a while, this patient's going to get tired. You know, just like whenever you're doing reps, say with a barbell, I can get in like 15, 20 reps. And, you know, eventually I start to get tired and I can like feel the burn. There's going to come a point when I physically cannot do any more reps with that weight. Like my biceps physically cannot do it. And the same thing actually happens with the diaphragm, which is also a muscle. It starts going too fast for too long, and, and eventually the patient can kind of tucker out or get too tired and is unable to compensate anymore. 
So if they are working too hard, and I can see that either because they're breathing too fast, they're using accessory muscles, they might even say, I feel tired. Okay, that person might need uh, advanced airway to help them out. The other flip side of that is when they're not working enough. Their oxygen saturation is very low, but they're not working hard to bring it up. They're not breathing any faster. They're not using accessory muscles. They're just laying there, breathing maybe a normal amount of times a minute or not enough times a minute. That patient might need an airway. So the other one is if we need to take over the respiratory system, either help the patient compensate or like to shift a metabolic derangement or just to allow the patient to rest for some reason. So if there's some reason why we need to take over breathing for them, then we would have to do that by intubating and putting them on the ventilator. And then the other one that I deal with a lot, and this one definitely confuses the new grad, is patients that are having neuro changes that tell me apnea is coming. Maybe they're breathing fine right now and their oxygen saturation is fine right now. <laughs> but I see their pupils. I see their posturing. We have seen their CAT scan and we know that herniation is imminent or possible. We want to take over the breathing for the patient because at some point when the brainstem is effective, the brain can't send the signal to get the lungs to do their thing, to get breath to go in. And so we have to do that for the patient. And then the final one is patients that sometimes have great oxygen saturation. It could even be 100%, but their CO2 is through the roof. Sometimes we've attempted other methods to get the CO2 down, maybe BiPAP or something, and it's not working. And we just have to take over the ventilation component and we have to breathe for the patient to blow off that CO2. So there's probably more reasons, but those are the most common ones that I see as a rapid response nurse. So basically anytime when the patient can't oxygenate on their own, which means get the oxygen in there, or the patient can't ventilate on their own, either they can't do it on their own right now, or you know that they won't be able to soon, in that case, it's time to intubate. All right, so let's say we've decided to intubate. Well, then what? What's the nurse's role? So that I wanna cover next week in part two. We're gonna be discussing the importance of resuscitation before intubation and how to optimize your patient before, during, and after the tube goes in. So I'll see you then. Before you go, I just wanted to let you know that if you like this episode, you would probably like my course too. My one-hour rapid response and rescue course is an introduction to how I approach emergencies. If you would like to learn to think, assess, and respond quickly when your patient is crashing, then you can check out my website, rapidresponseandrescue.com. And if you message me the word podcast on Instagram, I will send you a coupon code for $10 off the cost of the course. Oh, and did I mention that the course is approved by the AACN and worth one continuing education contact hour? So if you want to level up your emergency response skills and get one CE in the process, then this course is what you want. I put the link in the show notes for you. Well, thanks for listening. I hope you learned something that will save a life. Remember, nursing is a team sport. So trust your intuition and don't give up advocating until you are confident you've done what's right by your patient. The views and opinions expressed on this show are that of Sarah Lorenzini and hers alone. They are not intended as medical advice and should not take the place of your institution's policies or procedures. Evidence-based practice is ever-changing and your patient care should reflect the current best practice. If you want to get in contact with Sarah, you can find her at rapidresponseandrescue.com or on social media platforms as the Rapid Response RN. 